0: It is wonderful to be with you today. My name is Olin Carter. Uh, I serve on our teaching team here, which is a great joy for me to do. And if you're new here, something very unique about our church, um, we are one church in many locations, but we have live communicators at each and every service, each and every weekend. So Pastor Troy's up at Lake Norman today, Pastor Penny's at South End, bringing the Word of God. And let's just give some honor real quick to our pastors. Give them a hand clap. For, for having that vision uh, to empower leaders, I, I believe truly are, we are better together, amen? amen? And each and every series we get to hear, I think, so much more from our team because you get to hear different perspectives on every series and everything that we're doing. We do want to welcome you if you're joining us online today. Um, we're so glad you're with us as well. And uh, we're going to jump into this series today, White Elephant. We've been talking about this for a few weeks. What are we talking about with White Elephant. Well, we're all in that time of year where we're having all the Christmas parties, right? I mean, it can get a little overwhelming, can't it? I mean, you got the work parties, you got the family parties, you probably have multiple family parties, you got the church parties, and we play these games, you know, White Elephant, Dirty Santa. We thought about calling the series Dirty Santa, but we thought, you know, we're a church, we probably shouldn't do that. So, you know, we, we, we cleaned it up a little bit. So White Elephant is this series, but it's very interesting where that game, where that, that comes from. It actually dates back hundreds and hundreds of years. The king of Siam, which is modern-day Thailand, would actually give white elephants as gifts. But they weren't really a great gift. It was really um, the king being a little passive-aggressive. Because what would happen is if somebody in the king's court would displease the king, he would give this gift of a white elephant because he knew that feeding and caring for this elephant would bankrupt the person. And you know, that's how our life is sometimes. Sometimes life gives us a gift that's not so much a gift. Is life ever giving you a gift that you didn't want? Life ever give you a gift that you didn't ask for? Yes. I used to work at my old church with my associate pastor, and, and jokingly used to always tell me I was the son he never wanted. But <laughs> he really loved me. He was joking. But you know, sometimes life gives us things that... We never really wanted. We never really asked for. But here's the problem is when we continue in our life to feed the elephant. When we feed these things in our life, that life, the the, the cards have been dealt, and maybe we get some things in our life that maybe God never intended, maybe we never asked for, but we continue to feed that elephant. And it can bring ruin in our life. So what I want to talk to you today about is something that is very personal for me. It's a white elephant that's caused me a lot of pain. A lot of struggle in my life. And that is the white elephant of self-doubt or self-condemnation. You know, last week um, we heard Pastor Penny bring a powerful message about forgiveness. And I don't know if you were here for that last week. If you were not, you should go online and watch that because it was really, really important Especially during this time of year when we remember our family and things come up. And sometimes we, we we think about hurts and things in our life that we haven't let go of. And it's so important for us to forgive. But you know, sometimes the most important person for us to forgive is ourselves, And sometimes we spend our lives beating ourselves up, rehearsing our failures, rehearsing all of our mistakes. Replaying all the times in our life where we've messed up. And here's why it's so bad, not just the fact that it's no fun to beat ourselves over the head, but the reason it's so damaging is because a lot of times when we live in this constant state of self-doubt, self-condemnation, and we're just beating on ourselves, we actually can lose the ability to believe God. We actually beat and doubt ourselves so much, I doubt me so much, I no longer have the ability to believe God for anything. I begin to think, hey, you know what, if God passes me the ball, I'm just going to fumble it. Hey, every time in my life where God's done something good, I have found a way to mess it up. If God gives me that promotion, I'm just going to end up blowing it and messing it up anyway. We begin to doubt ourselves so much that it actually causes a a problem in our relationship with God and our ability to receive from God. So I want to start reading today in the Gospel of John, and this is... In chapter 16 and you know I believe sometimes that we all beat ourselves up. I think most people struggle with this at some point in their life but I think sometimes it's even worse for Christians. I think sometimes as believers, as followers of Jesus, we tend to hold ourselves to some unreasonable standard. We look at our Christian life as, well, I've received Jesus, I've gone to church, I've made this profession of faith, now I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I'm a disciple, whatever it is, and now I have to live up to this thing. I have to live up to this standard, and then when we fail as Christians, we tend to beat ourselves up even more. And so I want us to read this morning a story out of the Bible about Man, some of the early believers and what they went through. And this is the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 30. And this is the disciples talking to Jesus. It says, now we know that you know, talking to Jesus, all things. And do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Man, they're buttering Jesus up. They're like, Jesus, you're great. Jesus, you're from God. Jesus, we believe in you because Jesus is telling his disciples in this passage that, hey guys, I love you. It's been great. We've done some great things, but I've got to go back to heaven. I've got to go back to my father and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. The disciples don't want him to go and they're saying, hey Jesus, wait. Don't leave us. We believe in you. You're the man. I mean, we're just starting to figure this thing out. Don't leave us yet, man. We, we love you, Jesus. And Jesus answered them, verse 31, do you now believe? Is that right? You guys got this? I mean, you, you believe in me now? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Jesus is telling his disciples, Hey, guys, you think you got this thing figured out? You, you believe me so much. Listen what's about to happen. You're about to abandon me. You're about to leave me to die all by myself. The disciples. And Jesus is telling them this before it happens. Verse 33. I have said things to you to condemn you. Is that what it says? I've said these things to you to beat you up. I have said these things to you to show you just how worthless you are. No, that's not what Jesus says, is it? No, he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus is telling his disciples, guys, you're about to mess up worse than anyone's ever messed up before. But wait, you can have peace in me. Man, think about it for a second. If the disciples couldn't get it right, what chance do we have? I mean, they walked with Jesus for over three years. They ate with Jesus. They traveled with Jesus. They saw his best miracles. They heard all of his best teachings. And then at the culmination of this three years plus of ministry of miracles, what happened? They abandoned him. They left him all alone. They left Jesus to die all by himself. That really fills you with hope, doesn't it? I mean, if the disciples couldn't get it right, what chance do we have? But what is Jesus' reply? What is his answer to their lack of faith, to their weakness, to them abandoning him? Jesus doesn't condemn them. Jesus doesn't beat them up. Jesus doesn't say, hey, guys, you're about to leave me. You're about to abandon me. You're about to forsake me. And listen, you're no good, man. I should have picked a better bunch of disciples. That's not what Jesus says. He says, listen, guys, I'm telling you these things. Why? Because I want you to have peace in me. I want when this happens, you're going to begin to beat yourself up. You're going to begin to doubt yourself. You're going to begin to doubt everything we've done. And I want you to know that in me, you can have peace. Because you've overcome the world? No, because he says what? Because I have overcome the world. Jesus responds back to his disciples with love and with forgiveness. How can we have peace when everything's going wrong? How can we have peace in our life when we've messed everything up and we're in the middle of beating ourselves over the head because we've messed it all up once again? How is it possible to have peace in situations like that? Well, first, I think the key is we have to understand that peace comes when we move our faith from us to Jesus. We have to understand that as believers, as followers of Christ, God has not called us to have faith in our faith. God has called us to have faith in Him. And sometimes as believers, we get so caught up in following God and reading the Bible and coming to church and doing all these formula of things that we forget that the power was never in our performance to begin with. The power was never going to be in us. The power of God was never going to be in how well we could do everything right. The power of God is in God. Listen, the Bible doesn't say we're saved by faith. It says we're saved by grace through faith. You see, it's God's grace that saves us. Faith is just how we receive it. But sometimes we misplace our faith and we begin to move it into areas that God never intended it to be. Faith is not a work. Faith is just you receiving a free gift from God. I don't know if you've ever done a ropes course before. Uh, I have, and, and, and I can testify they are of the devil the um, hair of Satan. Um, we, I did one a few years ago with my work and, and we go to this ropes course and uh, man, I'm up there and, and let me tell you, you have a, a safety rope you hold on to. They've got a harness on your back. But when you're walking on a rope and you look down and it's like 50 feet down, none of that matters. Um, <laughs> my heart just begins to beat out of my chest. I'm Sweating bullets, I'm like, you know, ah, you know, and you got these people up there just going, ah, and just jumping thing to thing, and I'm just like, I just want to shove them off, you know, <laughs> like show off, you know. I'm terrified. I mean, I'm I'm white knuckling that rope, you know, and and they're up there coaching you, Oh, it's easy, just do this, you know. And I'm just like, okay, and. They save the hardest part for last. Whoever designs these rope courses, let me tell you, they are diabolical because they save the, last, the the hardest part for the very end. You get to the end, and there's this giant platform, and there's no rope to hold on to. There's no rope you can see. They just put this deal on your back, and they tell you to jump. You just, hey, just jump. Like, excuse me, just jump. I mean, it was hard enough when I had the rope, the harness, that I'm I'm walking on something, you know, and now you just want me to jump? And so knowing myself, I'd had an experience a few years before with with my youth group. We did a zip line, and I got a little stage fright. I got into the thing, and just they were like, go. And I'm like, yeah, go. (laughs) And they're like, no, man, that's you, you know. (laughs) Oh, okay, go. (laughs) I, I don't like heights very much. And so I knew that if I got up to the edge and I looked down, I wasn't going to jump and so I kind of stood there's the platform edge and so I kind of stood sideways so not to look at it and the guy's putting the thing on me and I'm like is it good it's good I said all the buckles are buckled everything's tight he goes yeah the buckles are buckled man you're good I'm like every everything's where it's supposed to be yep I'm good the rope's there I can jump you can jump it's going to catch me yep I'm not going to die yep okay you're good I'm good you're you're good And as soon as I felt assured, I just turned and fell. And I'm not proud to say I screamed like a six-year-old girl. (laughs) As soon as I fell off the thing, I mean, I was just... "Ah!" And then you fall about 10 feet, and then it catches you. And then it's like, "Ah!" okay, I'm alive, I'm alive. And then it just lowers you down. And you're just, you know, you're just... And by that time, I'm exhausted. I'm just... Lower me tonight. Just, just lay down. I'm just, okay, thank you. But you know, I was thinking about that the other day. And you know, that is the picture of the Christian life. God doesn't call us to get up to the platform and do a triple axel and land it. The, the picture of the Christian life is we just fall forward. Wow. That's all God has called us to do, is to have the courage to get up to the edge and just jump and know that God's grace is that rope that's going to catch us. I can't always see the rope. I can't always hold the rope. I don't always understand how the rope's going to work or when it's going to connect, when, I don't know. i just got to jump. All I've got to do is fall forward. But somehow we have changed it all around because we live in a performance culture and... Have made being a Christian a a profession. And so now I've got to be a professional Christian. I've got to get everything just perfect. It's all about my performance. And God's in heaven just going, "Just, just fall. Just fall. There's the edge. Just go and I'll catch you. Jesus is telling his disciples, listen, guys, you're about to fall big time, but have peace because I've got the rope. And I'm never going to let it go. God's grace has got you. All we have to do is fall forward. Listen, no temptation, no attack will ever be able to have victory over you when you trust completely in the finished work of Jesus on that cross. Whenever we trust in Him, man, you don't have to fear failure in your faith. I'm going to read a passage in 1 Peter. And this is really talking... About, man, the power of God to protect us, to keep us. And, you know, sometimes I've talked to Christians. I've, I've been in church pretty much my entire life. And I've, I've talked to many, many believers and, and Christians who love the Lord, go to church, really love God. But would come to me in tears, in anxiety, thinking, man, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to go to heaven. I don't know if I'm, if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm spiritual enough. I don't know if I can receive from God because... I don't know if God will give me the Holy Spirit. I don't read enough. I don't pray enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not good enough to earn this this thing from God. I don't know. I just don't know. And they're questioning themselves. But the problem is, is we are not the security guard of our own salvation. God has not called you to protect you. He'll do it. And it says right here in 1 Peter 1.5, it says who by God's power, and we know what is the power of God? The Bible tells us clearly it's the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. What is the gospel? The gospel's good news about what Jesus did, not what you're going to do. And so it's the gospel, but who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice. God has not called us to walk through life with anxiety and fear and worry and just beating ourselves over the head worried, I'm never going to get it right, I'm never going to be spiritual enough, I'm never. That's not the life God's called us to live. That's not the life that he's called us to. It says right here, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Jesus says you're going to have tribulations. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Listen, it's not you that protects you, it's God. When I was in school, there was this guy, when I was in, I think, fifth or sixth grade, there was this guy named Brad Freeman. And if Brad's watching today, love you, man, but Brad was a jerk. <laughs> Brad was an absolute jerk. He, he was a high school kid. He's 11th grade, something like that, 12th grade, and he's over six feet tall, big guy, and he loved to pick on all the little kids. So he's one of those bullies that's just going around, you know, pushing your head, knocking your lunch tray out of your just, you know, just being a jerk, you know, just bullying all the little kids. And um, Brad, man, somehow I, I got on his target list. I was, I was, I was uh, target number one there for a while. And so he's just knocking me around and bullying me. And all of a sudden, one day, my cousin, who I didn't think liked me at all because my cousin would beat the living daylights out of me all the time. He said he was toughening me up. I'm like, dude, I'm tough enough. You can stop. I didn't even think my cousin liked me. But one day he walks up to Brad Freeman and he puts his arm around him and pulls him in tight and just whispers something in his ear walks off. And all of a sudden, Brad Freeman started being real nice to me. And I later found out that my cousin had pulled him in and said, hey man, you touch my cousin one more time, I'm going to rip your head off. And my cousins had a reputation for being really tough. They fought all the time and nobody could whoop them. And so Brad, out of no fear of me, started being real nice to me because my cousin threatened his life. But let me tell you something. In your walk with God, you have an older brother named Jesus who will step in front of you and say, Whoa, 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 devil. And here's the thing. The number one person that you need defense from most of the time isn't the devil. It's you. Most of the battles we fight are with ourselves. And here's the problem. How do we win a battle with ourself? You can never defeat self with self. You're never going to defeat flesh with flesh. If you want to be self, you have to use spiritual weapons. You have to learn how to fight in the spirit. And remember, Jesus has overcome the world. Jesus says, listen, you can have peace. But I messed up again, God. What does Jesus say? But you can have peace because I have overcome the world. But God, I can't get victory. Uh, uh, uh. You can have peace because I have overcome the world. But God, this is ten times now. Uh, uh, uh. You can have peace because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. Jesus can give you victory in every area of your life. What are the main battles that we fight? We fight with fear. We fight with self doubt. We fight with self condemnation, with shame, with worry, with anxiety, with pride, just to name a few. And the only way we can ever hope to win these battles is we have to put our trust in Jesus and let Him be that older brother that steps in front and starts to fight our battles for us. We have to use spiritual weapons. I believe a big key, and we're going to read a scripture that shows this, is we have to learn to turn our weakness into a weapon. See, we beat ourselves up over what? Our weaknesses. Man, I'm such a failure. I mess up in this area. Maybe it's your marriage, and you're just beating yourself up. Man, I have all these relational problems. I've always struggled in this area. We beat ourselves up. Not in the areas we're strong, but I beat myself up in areas where I'm weak. But listen to what... Paul says here in 2 Corinthians, this is chapter 12. But he said to me, and he's talking about God, so God's speaking to Paul. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. You have to understand that your weakness, your struggle, is simply a canvas for God. Every area of your life where you beat yourself up is actually an opportunity for God to show himself mighty in your life. See, Satan wants to mix us up in this area. What he does is this he convinces us of a lie. We go around, man, we puff our chest out and we get all prideful and we get all, you know, we, we feel all good in areas of our life where we're strong. And let me, something in my life that I've noticed, maybe this isn't true for you, but it is for me. The areas that I'm strong, I don't tend to go to God very much. When I think I'm capable, what do I need God for? I don't need to pray in this area. I'm sufficient. When Olin is sufficient, Olin doesn't need God. And I tend to shut God out of that area of my life. Most of the areas where I'm strong are the areas that I don't see a lot of spiritual winds. Why? Because I'm doing it in my flesh. Man, when I got it figured out, What do you need God for? And Satan convinces us of a lie because Satan has us feeling all good and keeping God out of the areas where we're strong. And then where we're weak, Satan tells us, you're a dummy. You're a loser. You need to hide that area. What did the, the disciples do after they left Jesus and abandoned Jesus? They went and hid. They went back to fishing. They went back to doing the thing that was their comfort zone. Why? Because when we sin, when we mess up, when we're weak, we don't want anybody to know about it. We want to hide it. We want to put it under cover. And that's what Satan does. He wants us to hide our weakness, and he wants us to glory in our strength. But here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So all these great areas of our life where I'm strong and I don't lean on Jesus, am I doing something or nothing According to Jesus, I'm doing nothing. I'm doing nothing of eternal significance. I'm doing nothing with spiritual impact. Man, I just got a promotion on my job. Yeah, but is Jesus there? Are you using your job as a ministry? Is God working through you in your job? Well, no, I don't invite him. I got it figured out. I just got a promotion. You see how Satan does that? Satan has us so focused on our strength bragging there and then hiding our weaknesses and what God wants us to do is flip that around. You see, it's in our weaknesses where we recognize our need for God. It's only in those areas where we understand we're weak that we open up our heart to God to begin with. And so Paul says what? I will boast in my weakness. You don't see many people doing that these days. We live in a culture where weakness is something, man, you don't don't advertise that. You don't show your vulnerability, but Paul said, Man, where I'm weak, there I'm strong. I heard a story the other day about Charles Spurgeon. If you've never heard of Charles Spurgeon, he was called the Prince of Preachers because he was said to be one of the most eloquent pastors and and, and speakers ever. And one Sunday, Charles Spurgeon preached to his church, and he got home, and he fell on his face, and he began to weep, and he began to cry, and he was like, God, that was the worst sermon I've ever preached in my life. That was terrible. What a terrible message. God, I repent. I'm so sorry, God. That was a terrible sermon, a terrible message. He goes into the church that week. He learns that through that terrible, God-awful message that he didn't think did anything, 41 people had come into the church and asked for prayer and had received Jesus as their Savior. The following weekend, Spurgeon preaches a powerful message that he's so proud of. Man, what a powerful word. Guess how many people came forward? Not one. Because sometimes where we think we're strong, we just just cut God out of the equation. And sometimes in our weakness is where God will actually show himself mighty. Listen, we can't focus so much on the cause of our struggle, the cause of our pain that we forget the purpose of it. God has allowed areas of weakness. We have trials, we have tribulation, we have struggle in our life. Why? Because these are areas where God wants us to learn to open up our hearts him and I want to give you two practical things today to take with you before I get kind of to my final thought today and two things that you can take and you can apply right away to your life I was reading this book called thanks for the feedback and it's an amazing book about how we receive feedback in life and man most of us aren't very good at it I know I'm not reading that book it was really opening my eyes to some things but they do a study in that book with little kids and they bring the kids to a room with puzzles And in this room, they have the puzzles. The kids start to do the puzzles. The kids are doing them. They're having a great time. But as time goes on, the puzzles get harder and harder and harder to the point that the kids can't do the puzzles anymore. They get a little bit too difficult, and the kids start to fail. And most of the kids, when the puzzles get hard and they experience failure, like we all do in our life, what do the kids do? They push the puzzle away, and they say, I'm done. This isn't fun anymore. I want out. I want to go. But there was a small group of kids, and this is very important to understand. The scientists tested and they studied this. The kids, the small group of kids, were not smarter than the other kids. They were not better at doing the puzzles than the other kids. No difference. But this small group of kids, when the puzzles got hard, actually wanted to stay and actually had even more fun. And the people, the scientists studying this, they were just baffled. And so they took those kids aside and they said, why aren't you frustrated? Like you're having difficulty doing the puzzle. Like why isn't that frustrating? And the kids would smile and they would say, well, I was hoping this was really going to be challenging today. That I could learn something. And what the scientists said was it was almost like the kids were in two different rooms. One was the learning room and one was the testing room. And the kids who looked at it like a test, they looked at it like when I fail to do the puzzle, when I have failure, that says something about who I am. Because I failed, I'm no good. Because I failed, I'm dumb. Because I failed, I'm not capable. The other group of kids looked at it and said, hey, this is really hard. It's an opportunity for me to grow. You see, in life, when you experience failure... God wants you to look at it as an opportunity to grow. God doesn't say, I'm going to condemn you. God doesn't beat his disciples in this story. He doesn't begin to tell them how no good they are. No, he says, hey, you're going to fail, but have peace. Because I have overcome the world. This is just an opportunity for you to learn and grow and get better. But what most of us do is we get frustrated. We push the puzzle away and we say, life's too hard. I'm a failure. What this says about me hurts inside and I don't want any more of it. And we walk away. And the problem is when we do that, we get in this cycle and we're just going to continue to beat on ourselves, belittle ourselves, and we're never going to grow in our life. The other thing that we need to do besides looking at having the right perspective of our weakness and our failure is we need to use failure and we need Use these self-condemning as a reminder to worship God you see whenever the enemy talks to you Satan's never going to talk to you in the third person so Satan doesn't come to you and whisper in your, your ear hey you're no good no what he does is he'll come and whisper in your ear I'm no good he gets you thinking those thoughts are your own. And we begin to say in, in, on the inside of me, I'm a failure. I'm no good. I'm so dumb. I'm going to mess this up again. I've always messed this up. I'm going to mess it up again. Man, I, there's just no hope for me. We, he, he begins to speak to us like that. And whenever you have those thoughts, what you need to do is use that as a reminder to worship God. Yeah. To begin to thank God that, hey, you know what? Satan just reminded me that I'm weak, and that's good because where I'm weak, you are strong. God, where I'm weak, I'm going to open this area of my life for you. I'm going to begin to worship you, God. The Bible says what? Rejoice. When you have trials, when you have struggle, when you experience failure and weakness, rejoice because where I'm weak, he is strong. I'm going to close with this final thought today. And this is the most important part of this, this whole message. And, and it's because... I was listening to a, a great theologian the other day, and uh, he was doing a Q and A, and he said something that really stuck with me. He said, "The gospel is not good advice; the gospel's good news." And what that means is, is when we come to church, getting some practical things is good. That's helpful, but the power is in the gospel. It's in the good news of what Jesus did. And so you can do all the tricks, you can read all the self-help books, but the power is in Christ and in what he did for us. So the gospel's not good advice, the gospel's good news. And so I want to give you some good news today. And you can't break a contract you never signed. You can't break a deal you you never signed. And some of us look at our Christian life like, it's this standard, this bar, these check boxes I have, to, I have to live up to. If I do this, this, and this, then God will do this, this, and this. If I do X, God will do X. If I'm spiritual enough, then God will bless me. And that's not how it works. You see, let's look in Galatians chapter 3, and this is in verse 15. Paul's trying to explain to the Galatian church, hey guys, You started out this thing by grace through faith, and now you're trying to finish your walk with God. You're trying to perfect yourself and get to the finish line through your flesh, through your works, and it's not going to work. Let's listen to what Paul says here. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children as if it were meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. So what he's saying is that the promises of God, the promises of Abraham, the promises in the Bible were made to Jesus. This is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance, all, this, all these promises and, and eternal life, a relationship with God, spiritual blessings, all the things that we want to receive from God, for if all of that could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously... Man, I love it when the Bible says, but God. But God. See, we'll mess it up every time. We start to look at us, what I can do, but what does he say? But God graciously gave it to Abraham, how? As a promise. Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. That's Jesus. God gave his law through angels to Moses who was the mediator between God and the people. Now a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promise? Are we saying that the laws of God are bad or unfair? Should we do everything right? Should we follow God's law? Yes, we should. God's law is good. God's law is holy. If we obeyed the Ten Commandments, if we did everything the Bible teaches us to do, would that be good or bad? Oh, it'd be great. The problem is we can't. We mess it up every single time. He says, absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the Scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. You see, hear what this scripture is saying to you today. We look at it like, man, if I want to get God's promises, I've got to live up to this deal. I've got I've to follow through and check all these boxes. But here's the truth. The promise was never made to you. The promise was made to Jesus. All you have to do is be in him. You see, when you say, God, I'm not worthy, it's okay because Jesus was. But God, I have sin in my life. It's okay because Jesus didn't. God, I don't know if I can believe enough. It's okay because Jesus does. God, I messed up again. It's okay because Jesus didn't. God, I don't know if I'm worthy to receive this. It's okay because Jesus has fulfilled every single requirement for you. Jesus has done it. And this is saying, listen, you can't mess the deal up because it wasn't made with you. God says, listen, in Hebrews it says God couldn't find anyone trustworthy to swear by, so he swore by himself. God knew, looking through the annals of time, he knew that he couldn't find any human being that would be able to make, to keep this agreement. He knew none of us could keep the covenant, so what did he do? He said, I'll keep it myself. I'll come as a man. I'll come as Jesus. I will send myself in the form of my son, Jesus Christ. I will live a holy, perfect life. And I'll complete this for them. And then I'll offer it to anyone who will receive it by faith. You don't have to earn God's promises. Jesus already paid for them. And you can't break the covenant because it wasn't made with you. It was made with Jesus, and Jesus never fails. Jesus never comes up short. Where did we start out today? Jesus telling his disciples, it's okay, you can have peace. Why? Because I have overcome the world. Every area of your life where you're beating yourself up, where you're tearing yourself down, Jesus has overcome the world. But I'm struggling with alcoholism. Jesus has overcome alcoholism. Well, I'm struggling in my marriage. Jesus has overcome marital problems. I'm struggling in th- with sin in my life. Jesus has overcome sin. You see, we hear the gospel and we receive the first half. We believe God forgives us, but we forget that not only did Jesus die, He got up. He's alive. And if He's alive, He has power. He has power over everything in your life, and He can give you power over it too. You just have to take your faith out of you and put it in Him. Would you stand on your feet with me this morning? I believe God wants to set us free today because when we walk in self condemnation and self doubt, it's a trick that the enemy uses to do what? To keep our eyes on us. Satan wants you to beat you up. He wants you to beat yourself up, not just because he hates you, and he does, he really hates Jesus. But Satan wants you to beat yourself up over and over again. Because, man, when you're beating yourself up, your eyes are on you, not on Him. When we begin to move and shift our focus from me and my failures to Him and His perfection, man, we can experience true freedom in our life because there's power, not in you and me. There's power in Him. The gospel's good news. What did Jesus do? Man, He did enough to set you free. Would you close your head? Close your eyes just for a moment. Bow your heads. I want to give you an opportunity today. And this prayer is not just for someone who's not a Christian, but if you are a Christian. If you're somebody who's never received Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to start that relationship now. We just heard that Jesus paid the price. And if you're watching online today, we want to invite you to participate in this too. You can can click the button there and we've got people that will pray with you. We want to invite you to, to be a part of this. But if you would say today, man, I've never received this gift by faith. I've been trying to do it on my own. Man, you can start a relationship with God right now. You don't have to understand everything. You don't have to be perfect. God loves you just the way you are and he sent Jesus to die for you. The Bible says you just have to receive it by faith. But if you've already been following Jesus and, man, this message is hitting home today and you say, man, I just beat myself up all the time. I'm always tearing myself down. I'm always, I'm always speaking negatively about myself. I've never forgiven me. Man, there's freedom for you today too. And if you want God to set you free, whether you want to receive Christ for the very first time or you just say, man, I'm tired of beating myself up. I want some freedom in Christ today. If that's you, just raise your hand up right now. We're going to pray this prayer together. Amen. We're going to pray this prayer together right now. So just repeat this prayer with me. Say, Father God, I thank you for freedom. I'm not worthy, but Jesus is. And I can be worthy in him. I find my peace in Jesus in what he did for me I believe that Jesus died but I also believe he rose I believe Jesus is alive and he has power over everything in my life and I ask for freedom today from self doubt, from shame from condemnation from fear From anxiety. God, I am yours. Thank you, Lord, for freedom today. I receive it now by faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.